0: Welcome friends and colleagues. Today we will speak about the separation of light and darkness. We set as the basis for our methodology, which is a complex methodology, but the main principle is that what it tells, not what it says. We want to understand why Uh, the Hebrew Bible uses certain terms of phrase, why it presents things in a certain way, uh, what are these features of repetition, duplication, and parenthetical insertions, and all kinds of techniques, literary and uh, exegetic, that we find in it. What is the purpose to it, and why does it do it? And Our premise is that it's trying to introduce ideas to us in many different ways. It does it through stories, through narrative, through selection of words. It is a kind of rhetoric, but not in the sense we think of being in some way untrue, but simply of being expeditious, knowing human nature, understanding human psychology, presenting to us ideas that stick in our mind, that overwhelm our defenses, in a totally unconscious uh, way, that uh, create a worldview without having us engage in uh, completing uh, complicated argumentation, uh, 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 logical inferences, and argument okay, so today we 'll talk about how God separated between light and darkness um, as we said this Separation seems to have not truly be complete at that moment because God again separated between night and day on the fourth day. But there are many other problems with this uh, concept. How do you actually separate between light and darkness? Is light and darkness separate? And I think any look at the world around us will demonstrate that in fact they aren't. There is more light during the day. True. There is... More darkness during the night, true. But during the day, you walk out in the street, in a beautiful sunny day, it's all light, and you walk past the tree and you're in the shadow. In the shadow, there's a mixture of light and darkness. You walk into a closed room with the shades drawn, and there's a mixture of light and darkness. You descend into a mine, and there is a lot of darkness during the day. And then twilight, as the sun sets, Darkness descends, and it mixes with light. They are not separate. Neither are they separate in the morning. Neither at night is darkness completely in charge. We can light a candle, a flame, put on electricity, and again, there is no separation with light and darkness. So this should lead us to consider what does it mean to separate? And to try to understand this, I sat down and I looked at all verses in the uh, five books of Moses that mention the word separation. Now, the word separation here is one of many possible ways to say it. It, it, The root is Beid Dalet Lamed, which is different from a number of other words that have as its base, pe Resh. Or some vari- variation of that. Now, the base should be known to us from Latin and English. Separate has exactly those sounds. P-r-t. That's one of many cognates that uh, Indo European and Semitic languages share. But separation and p-d-l are different. Separation is a physical separation. Now, Badal is more of a conceptual separation. Let me read to you from the commentary of Samson Raphael Hirsch, who was a great rabbi who revitalized and re-explained Orthodoxy in Germany in the 19th century. And he wrote a commentary as well. In this commentary, he focuses a lot on meaning of specific words. So he writes like this. This is I'm reading from page twelve, verse four one four, from the newer edition by Feldheim. And he says, Badal differs from Parad Shaver Karas. The meaning of Badal is not merely separation, a negative separation from something else. Rather, Badal has also a positive connotation. Separation of one thing from another, so as to assign it to its own special province and to grant it its own existence and purpose. Therefore you have, and then he quotes several examples from the five books of Moses of different types of separations. I looked at all of them, there are 21 times and that is in itself significant number, as we'll discuss in a minute, that 21 times that the word Badal appears in the five books of Moses, and a number of other times in other books of Tanakh. What I see is three basic kinds of separation. There's a separation between holy and not holy, or... One of my teachers used to say, not yet holy. That is a separation between holy and uh, what we call in Hebrew whole, uh, mundane. Then, that separation is clearly vertical. It's between something that is higher and something which is lower, albeit not bad. There's never a bad thing in the Hebrew Bible. There's only things that can be elevated further. Then you have two types of horizontal separation. There is a separation between two equal things, each of which are assigned a separate domain, and both of which have rights, place, uh, and, and are God-made. An example would be between separation between Israel and the nations. It's in lifestyle, it's in religion, it's in location, uh, the land of Israel versus uh, the rest of the world. But there is not any kind of value judgment. And generally in the Hebrew Bible, every nation has its rights. The foundations of of the international law have really been set uh, in the Bible. Uh, And um, uh, there are... It's not our topic for but there are definitely rules that nations should follow, and they all have rights. The third separation that I see is conceptual separation. This is an example of separation between light and darkness. It's a separation that, while assigning relative desirability to things, does not really negate either of them. There is place for light. Light is better, this place for darkness. Darkness is not so great. But they they still are are horizontal and that they exist in the same continuum and they are uh, essentially separate but equal. Now, how do I I know that this reading is correct? Uh, I'll bring you two uh, lines of evidence. First... We have a ceremony called Havdalah. It comes from the same root, Bedal. Havdalah is the end of the Shabbat ceremony, when uh, the holy day is now separated, and from the incoming regular day. You start with the Kiddush ceremony and the wine, the prayer. Uh, as uh, my man, is uh, conceptualizes in the Mishnah Torah, uh, it is the same process as Havdalah. You sanctify the Sabbath as it comes in with the, with the words, and you sanctify it as it comes out. So there is a dispute in the Talmud. How many separations do you mention in that prayer of Havdalah? There is a view that there are seven. The reason that there are seven is because if you count up, there are actually seven things only that I ever entitled with this uh, title of Havdalah. Then there is a view that there is only one, between holy and non-holy. And then there is the view which we now follow, which The Talmud itself sets as the authoritative normative law, and it is three, one who separates between holy and mundane, between Israel and the nations, and between light and darkness. So here you have your three types of separation. There's a fourth one which is mentioned, but Talmud already explains it away. between the Sabbath and the days of the week. It doesn't count as one of these three. the three. This particular Talmudic passage is found in Pesachim 103b to 104a. There's a lot there. Okay, so we seem to have settled the Talmudic dispute. By saying that there are three basic separations, the other interesting line of evidence to me is that <coughs> as I mentioned that twenty one times I went over it several times, I counted up twenty one times that we speak of separation in the five books of Moses. Now why is that important It's important because of the concept of the keyword. We really should have a session just on that, but Martin Buber a philosopher and translator in Germany in last century, century before last, uh, has noted that you can define sub sections in the Bible by the use of a recurring word. This word appears usually in multiples of seven. Uh, With that, you can separate, kind of, specific, complete narratives containing an idea. Uh, they are not the same as in the documentary hypothesis. To me, that represents a strong argument against the documentary hypothesis, but it's clear that in the literary sense, at least, there is a, another way to separate, I'd say, domains uh, of narratives by the use of the word, which is used in multiples of seven. So when you expe- extend this idea, we got 21 times that the word badaw is mentioned in the Torah, seven times three. it Got to be something to that. All right. So we have established that separation comes in different flavors. Uh, and now I'd like to just spend a little time explaining why separation is not just a uh, kind of a nice idea, but why it is actually basic. And this is why it comes here to, to tell us uh, how separation is integral to the way the Hebrew Bible sees religion. And to understand it, we have to come back to what the Hebrew Bible is about, divine law. The focus of the narrative, the heart of the entire Hebrew Bible is that God gave his law to the people he has chosen at Mount Sinai. Now, law has a bad rap. Uh, Law has been accused of many things. Uh, The Christians have rejected the law and picked for themselves a different path. However, I would propose to you to just think about that, without law, there are no distinctions. Law is the only way to restrain and confine an individual. General principles will not do it. Love will not do it. You've got to be able to look at the specific situation and apply general principles and come to a specific legal decision. That is Judaism's approach. My kids, you know, used to fight. They used to fight about toys, other things. All kids do. And uh, then the father, the lawgiver, comes and reminds them of the law that they know you've got to share. And he applies it to this particular situation. It's not, yeah, but I saw it first, but I used it yesterday, but I, I was thinking about using it. All these things are very convincing to the individuals involved. But when you apply the law, you come to a specific decision. Well, uh, Johnny, uh, you were playing with it for 15 minutes. You are the one who can play with it now. But please share it with Jenny, uh, share it with her in five minutes, okay? Okay, okay. The lawgiver has spoken. The law interpreter has interpreted. The law is set. We know what is right in this case. Furthermore, the law introduces God's will into everyday life. There's a blessing to be said on every food. there are prayers. There are certain things you act, certain things you do not act. The concept of distinction is absolutely vital to application of law. So, by ceding the law, uh, you cede this world to Satan. How is that? Well... Satan is the god of this world, uh, as it says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Everything is either good or bad. Without distinction, you cannot have distinctions. You won't have holy and mundane. You will not have things that are separate but equal. And you will not have things that are better or worse but okay. Uh, Judaism believes that law can be kept. Uh, It's interesting that law is rejected by people who never tried keeping it. But it is, of course, sometimes difficult. It also can lead to pride. Uh, Romans 3.27-31 makes an argument that law leads to pride. Uh, And it can happen but it's certainly something Judaism's cognizant of has worked on uh, in many different ways. That's a subject for another lecture. But I would argue that on the contrary, uh, a permission to the law creates humility and obedience. And that it happens when the fighting little kids outsource the decision to their father. What do I mean by that? So in the way the law should really function is that you're either are able to decide it without personal biases, that takes a lot of training both in the moral and intellectual sphere. Intellectual honesty is paramount. Or you go to your local decider, who we call a POSUK, a rabbi who is specifically trained, not a chaplain type of a rabbi, but a rabbi who is a little decider. And he will tell you, so you learn to submit and just that you learn how often you are wrong. The initial impression, oh, I can do this. And then you hear that, no, you cannot do this. Or, there is maybe a way, but you have to do this first. That creates humility, I think. But anyway, to come back, let us let us review what we have here. So, uh, light and darkness were separated, but they were not separated in fact. There are no electrons of light matter and dark matter. Dark matter is a speculative entity, uh, and it, there is no matter antimatter, uh, at least in our planet. Uh, light and darkness are both things which one is preferable and one isn't. This whole presentation of light and darkness was uh, kind of conceptual. As we spoke in the past, uh, God created the light, but He didn't create the luminaries till the fourth day. Uh, God um, called light or and darkness, He called Choshech, on the first day. He called them names. He created a conceptual framework to separate them. And then He separated them in concept. Just like he created the light up in heaven. We spoke about all that. And it became something that eventually in the separation of light and day, which is actually what you call day. You call day at that time when there is more light. And you call night at that time when there is more darkness. But physically there was never any separation. This follows the pattern of separation of all things, The Hebrew Bible calls to us to use discernment and distinction as a part of daily life with law. So, the creation of light and darkness foreshadows. It's a harbinger of the concept of law, which will come towards the middle of the book, in the book of Exodus. I would like next time to take a specific body of laws... Uh, which is in itself unintelligible without some kind of an approach such as this. And and get down, zero in, and make flesh it out, make it understandable. We will talk about the laws of which animals are kosher, are fit to it, and which ones are not. And we'll apply these principles and see that it actually begins to make sense. Thank you much. Colleagues and friends, till the next time, may you only have blessings.